Yes, people, welcome back to Process. Today we are joined by another very special guest, the head coach at the Trading Club Washington, Steve Hoggy. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Hi, man. How are you doing? How are we doing? All right. Lord is trying to say hello again on the podcast. I'm going to have to kick you out in a second, aren't I? I am. <laughs> How is, um, what's this morning been looking like down the TC? Um, it's been busy, mate. Being full throttle this morning. Um, we've had a, a couple of sessions, just the sessions that we typically have on the, the timetable anyway. But we've also had a um, St. Robert's group in. So we've been doing some pre-season stuff with those. We've had the, the young young lads in uh, and then the ladies team as well. So it's been full throttle this morning, but it's it's action, action, action. It's always good. Yeah, no, it looks it looks like you've been picking things up quite a bit recently with the TC. Yeah. Obviously, pre I've seen you've had a lot of football lads in as well. Um what other things have you been working on with them specifically, like focus for obviously the preseason lads going into the season? So, I mean, we previously worked with uh, Burley Town and um, as, a, as a preseason block as well. And it's pretty much just incorporating in strength work. We literally uh, discuss them with the guys there. And you'll find that those who are physically fit have good fitness levels and might be able to run trap all day, get a few weeks, a few months into the season and then end up injured. Because there's no robustness there, there's no stability, there's no um, kind of rigidity of the muscles or the tissue. So incorporating a little bit of strength work in, as much as it's pre-season, will obviously uh, extend the offer to be able to get them in to do, do some strength work or help them through throughout the season. Because it's important not just to box off six weeks worth of pre-season strength work and then neglect it again for the rest of the season. Um, it's an important part and... I've worked with athletes in the past, whether they're cyclists, runners, um, in order to improve their time or their goal or whatever. And they're doing like, what am I doing wrong? And it's like, I'm running five times a week. Where am I going wrong? And you're like, well, because you're running five times a week, let's knock two or three of those on the head and incorporate some strength work. And you'll sharp find out one, you'll probably be performing better, but two, you'll be a lot less injury prone. Um, it's important to find that balance, I guess. So that's what we're, we're trying to implement. And it's only been the first session today, so went down well. Some strong basic movements and just development movement patterns at this stage. Yeah. Uh, it's good that they're getting it in early as well because I know a lot of young athletes, I know it started to kind of become a lot more popular these days with more accepted, I would probably say, within football. Yeah. Like old school days, it was like run, run, run. That's all you needed. You only needed football, fitness, never mind all the gym stuff, but it's been a lot more accepted. So the more that young athletes, if there's any young athletes lifting, there's a lot of good coaches out there like yourself who have like gyms that are putting these sessions on for you. So make the most of them, especially when you're young, learn the movement patterns and then it will transition over to, to the pitch. And like I said, it's more about injury prevention more than anything. If you can stay yeah. fit, I know myself what it's like with football, Ross will know it as well. If you stay fit, that's when obviously things kind of kick on from you, you get more opportunities. But if you pick up little niggles and stuff, that's what really limits your career. So no, it's great that they're obviously, you've got a good group in. Yeah. Um, so, we're, so we'll talk a bit about yourself. Yeah, man. Talk about the football and your training and stuff later on. So a bit about yourself, a bit about your background. We'll probably jump back to when you were a young lad. What was young Steve Hoggy like? Was he into sport? What What did he do? To be fair, mate, I wasn't really that into sports. Um, probably, I mean, I, I liked sports. I would play and I would participate and I would watch them and stuff as ever. Um, but in terms of performing to a, a good standard or an elite level, like the, it wasn't particularly where I was driven. I was probably more um, academically. And I knew that that was my strength, really, in terms of science, English, maths, whatever. Um, that's where I delved my energy, was more in terms of developing that. Um, so in terms of sport, 
we really how I'm now a PT or coach or however you want to label it because uh, it's it's been a, a good journey but yeah younger I was dead skinny and dead insecure um, I've got two older sisters and an older brother so I'm the youngest out of the four of us so I was always the skinny one the one that would get thrown around me and my brother ended up in a scrap he would absolutely knack me no bother um, yeah and again like further down the line now tables have turned so it's all good but yeah it was never really strength um didn't have any prowess fitness wise i probably run all day but that's probably because i was skinny lean didn't really have anything about me really could get pushed off the ball if i played football but i would run all day yeah i think that's a lot a lot of the time when i talk to people on these podcasts and stuff they did come from that sort of like i was either massively overweight or i was really skinny yeah. like for me it was i was really tall and skinny i just shot up and didn't fill out so a lot of the time that's how they get into it and it's weird how there's such a difference now like 10 15 years ago oh, i was like this and now um a bodybuilder um whatever it is yeah. and i'm an athlete something like that. you just make that change so like if anybody is listening they're in that kind of early transition stage where like maybe I don't want to go to the gym because I'm a little bit skinny or I'm, I'm, I'm overweight and I'm scared of kind of taking that step and I don't think I can make the change. Like, I'd probably say 95% of people who are successful within sport, within, I don't know, bodybuilding, whatever it is, mm-hmm. come from something like that. There's obviously the 5% or maybe the 1% who are just naturally always being genetically like that. But yeah. 95, 99% of the time it's going to be because of that. Um, so yeah, it's good, kind of really good to see. So what did you do school-wise, education college, anything like that after school? school. From school, um, I didn't pick GCSEPE. I actually picked French instead. Um, This sums me up really, to be fair. Long long story short, there was a lad who was a good mate of mine and he was like, I've picked French because I want to do French, but nobody will do it with me. And I was like, all right. So I picked French. So I sacrificed one of my options just to help somebody else out, which is just me all over really. Um, But I got an E in French, struggle to speak a word of it now. Um, but it's a GCSE and then, and then after that I went to college so I left school wanting to be an English teacher so wanted to be an English teacher went to college doing English Lit enjoyed poetry and um, reading books and ripping them apart and then in college it was absolutely nothing like that I think we did um, Canterbury Tales and stuff and William Chaucer and it was just not what I envisioned at all and then I was also doing um, PE, psychology and IT along with it. And I was like, which one of these do I enjoy the most? And it was PE all around. It was the, again, the academic side of it though. The biology, the physiology of it really drew me in. So I was like, right, let's do sport and exercise science diploma and in, in that. Yeah. Ran with that because I was told it was more stats, it was more numbers, it was more um, theory based and stuff. Ran with that, then was like, right, I'm going to be a PE teacher instead then. I want to teach. Then went to Sunderland Uni, did my degree there, sport and exercise sciences, and then went into Durham Uni. So did a PGC there and qualified as a PE teacher and was doing my PT actually at the same time as that. And that's when I kind of decided like, this is why I'm going to run with PT as opposed to teaching. Is It was all the red tape. It was all the hoops you had to jump through. It was all kind of, It wasn't about developing these young people. It was about getting a 99% pass grade. It was about how can we get the most people with the most qualifications rather than developing them for life skills or personally, it was about developing the numbers. So once that cohort left, 
that was just a number that left. It wasn't people. And I was like, I'm not doing this for the next 30 years. Um, whereas the PT, I feel like I can actually have an impact on people and I can visually see how it improves that individual person um, in a different scenario. And it's obviously a big scope. I mean, as you know, mate, you work with so many different types of people and you can go from one dynamic to another. Somebody who's really amped and like, right, I need to um, get as strong as I possibly can. Then your next client might be, right, um, I've actually got this niggle, this niggle. I just want to be able to move well. And that different dynamic, not just for goals, but for personalities, I thrive off it. And um, I mean, five, six years down the line, I'm still doing it and still pushing it, trying to do it better and better and better. And kind of gone full circle, really, because we've had opportunities with schools and colleges where they've invited us in as uh, under the heading of the training club to actually have an impact on these young, young not athletes, but young people to... Uh, give them life skills or develop them in other areas. And I'm like, well, this is what I wanted all along. So yeah. it's kind of gone full circle, which is good. Um, but had I not kind of just chased this and what I feel like I was drawn to might not have ever been in that position. Yeah. It's worrying when you talked about like the school system itself, how it's literally just ticking boxes and getting them the, the marks and stuff like that. I'm very, like, obviously, I'm, I kind of know what it's like, the school system just ticking boxes. If, if you get an A in whatever it is, that means you're good. But that doesn't correlate into real life. And especially if you end up going down the self-employed route and something, it's completely different world. I'm very surprised that the school system hasn't changed that because there's a lot of people who are very creative and not so much, like, academic, but they've got that creative side. Or maybe they're good at sport or they're maybe the, they've got some other kind of other kind of interest and stuff that aren't, like, maths, English, because... I, a lot honestly probably say 75% of the things that I've learned in school I probably haven't used now even like my PE course that I've done like I can't really remember anything that I learned there there might have been a few things that I just should generally or what, where your bones are in your body whatever it is but it, the, the system does need to change and it's even worse that it's pushing a teacher like yourself who has such a passion for helping people it's pushing you to change your career to try and find a path that you can actually help people in the way that you want to help people rather than yeah. the, in the way that they've got the system set out for you which is like even worse. It's pushing the people who actually want to help out of the system. So yeah. maybe there's there's something like that obviously needs to be changed there because people are going down the wrong route like you have with the with the PT to actually help people the way that you want. Um, so it is massively worrying. It is, mate. And I mean, I remember doing like, um, we did like an off-campus thing where it was a weekend stay and we went to, um, I was at Downhill, I think. And it was with GCSE Year 10s. And it was over a weekend, so we did rock climbing and canoeing and stuff like that. And it was it was awesome. It was to, to develop the GCSEs. Um, and over that course of the weekend, you saw the, the students in a different light and they got to see you in a different light, like a little bit more personable. And I think as you build up that rapport with people, you can have more of an impact. So then I thought, right, developing this rapport, now when they're in classroom, they're, I can connect with them on a different level that I wouldn't have been able to. But because of this weekend, again, they get relaxed and it's outside a classroom. I mean, my surname's Hoggett, but they would, they would start calling me Hoggy as a nickname, not realising that that's my actual nickname. But um, yeah, so then when we came back into schools, walking through a corridor, I remember one of the lads saying, uh, hi, Hoggy, mate, just dead friendly. I was like, hi, Harry, mate, whatever his name might have been. Um, and I got pulled in and from a teacher saying, like, do not let a student call you that. And I was like, what? 
And I mean, I remember being at school and I mean, the nicknames, I went to Pennywell school, by the way, the nicknames we had for teachers were not that um, nice, really. But yeah. And I was like, really? Like, he's only called me a nickname. Like, I was like, no, no, I don't mind. And he was like, no, no, it's not like you don't mind. It's like, it's it's not professional. And I was like, really? I was like, is it really worth sacrificing this rapport I've got with a student for me to then have to speak to the student go, um, Harry again, I'm using that name as a pseudonym. You can't call me that. Like, I'm not going to sacrifice that rapport. Like, it's not worth it. And then it kind of paid me back, really, because later on in the year when we got you get assessed by your, your mentor in uni, they come into your lessons and stuff. And I had these same group, of, the same cohort, and they knew I was getting assessed just by the atmosphere. And they were absolutely on point. Like, they were asking questions to make me look good, and they were well-behaved. And I feel like you wouldn't have been able to get that connection with the student had you not built up that rapport you know, that avenues, but mm-hmm. that's what I loved about it. And that's what was kind of not allowed almost. And it yeah. was allowed to, right, the need to hit learning objective, one, two, three, make sure they learn them by the end of the lesson. It's like, not not robots, not on a conveyor belt. Yeah. It's crazy, we're, like, definitely we're all, scary. We're all human, I know, we're, we're all humans at the end of the day. We're, we're designed to build relationships and like, it's the same with like clients. If you're like, Dead strict and like, right, we're going to, we're not even like having human communication. Is it right? Come into a session, warm up, right? We're going to go and back squat, we're going to do leg press. They're just not having like, oh, like, how was your weekend? What did you do? How's the kids? All that stuff. If you're not like that, they're going to be like, right, I don't really want to work for him. And they're probably, you're probably going to lose them. It's the same with the kids. I don't understand how you can't have that relationship with them. Building up rapport, like you said, and they're going to be a lot more open with things that like, they could even be having troubles outside of school, which is why they're not doing the homework, like with family and stuff. And they might be able to actually come say to you, you know what, like, like hoggy I'm, I'm struggling a little bit here whereas if you're just ticking the boxes and stuff it's it's very almost like almost like 18th century like very old-fashioned really really old-fashioned but i think they've got to move with the time we can't like everything's got to adapt like the way that technology the way that training's adapted the same with the school systems the same with anything really everything's got to catch up so hopefully you know, there's probably schools implementing things that are a bit more open relationships now but it is scary because like i said it's pushed you kind of out of that that yeah. career path which is what I really want, don't want really. On the positive light, like I say, when I came full circle and we got an opportunity with like a college and a school, they wanted us to come in from ex- like an external source to be able to come in and to try and impose that change. And I thought that was really refreshing. It's something that gets me really excited because like I say, that's the impact I wanted to have in any way. Um, so it's not all doom and gloom, I guess. I guess it is kind of beginning to change, um, which is good. It could be exciting after being so like, a little bit like you see old school kind of in century-esque to now a bit more free-flowing thinking like we're in a we're in a generation where there's so many entrepreneurs there's so many young people looking to do their own unique thing people are not in the mindset of just going you go you leave school you get a job you just pay your bills you pay your taxes whatever and then you die it's not about that it's about people again uh, allowing to be themselves and mm-hmm. Like it's all about not a myth. The lights going on. <laughs> Blackout. <laughs> nice. Don't worry about. Is it set? Is it more than set there or going back? I have to clap your hands every so often. Not <laughs> doing this, yeah, man. Quality. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but like you're saying, that people have the freedom to do be do and be whatever they want. Now they don't have to kind of just go through life the way that it's it's planned out. Like you go to school, like you said. Um, so having that freedom and like I, th- I think the world needs to be a let well I think it is adapting a bit more with people being more open on like social media and stuff and 
like in terms of this podcast, like if like the lights went off and something bad happened, for example, like it doesn't really matter if things like that don't go to plan because like it, it just kind of shows that you're human in a sense as well, rather than like being like a robot and getting everything right. Like it doesn't have to be like that. The same goes with like, um, like obviously having your, your personality and being a lot more open with things and having building relationships like we were talking about. But um, yeah, it's good that you've obviously found that different career path that you can do what you exactly want. It's kind of ironic that you might end up working with people who you were working with at school. They might end up coming to your facility now, training with you, and you're affecting the life the way that you want it to. It's kind of the yeah. way that life kind of works. It's it's, it's weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very weird. Uh, so after, like, obviously, teaching career, when did that come to an end, and what was the kind of process, your thoughts behind it, and how did it, how did it come about? So I am... Um... I was doing like my, it was crazy, again, going back to the, the teaching aspect as well, but I was doing my PT at the same time as I was doing um, my, my teaching degree, which probably is not a wise choice, but because the teaching degree, PGC, as much as I've been in education a lot prior to that, like degree and stuff over three years, this one year PGC was the hardest um, year in academic academia that I, I'd ever done. So then to, to throw myself into doing PT and start doing that at the same time was Probably not my, my best idea, but yeah, it paid off, I guess. So on a morning, I would be up at six, right? Get to school for seven, for, get ready for reg or whatever, sorting out your lessons, uh, pre-prepare. So as doing PE, you would have to set the session up, ready for them to come in. So you'd have to then go to reg, then come do your lessons all the way through. Now, again, as PE, you'd be um, the subjects that are going to run the extracurricular after school. So you'd run the sports club. So your day might not be nine or three, which a teaching job absolutely is not. But then PA, you're then running all the way through until about five, four or five o'clock in the afternoon, the evening. And then I would go and help co-run some group sessions on an evening um, and then get home at about nine o'clock. So on my lesson plans and stuff for the next day, rinse and repeat, and then work part-time on a weekend. Like my head was blagged. But then at the end of my teaching you that's when i was like weighing up my options i was like right, i'm doing this this pt thing um it's all right um it's it's doing steady or i'm doing this um teaching thing which is a good respectable job um there's loads of holidays as they say and yeah i do enjoy it but jumping through the loopholes can i see myself doing that for the next 30 year and my that kind of tip the, the favoring towards the coaching the pt and then i kind of ran with it and I went from where I started to then a gym in, in Castletown in Sunderland to then another gym in, in Sunderland, which was Performance Fitness Centre, which is where I met Ross. Um, and I, I mainly went there because there was loads of coaches that were loads better than me. And I thought, right, if there's anywhere I can develop, like if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So jump in there um, and these coaches are going to help develop me, which wasn't like my intention, but was kind of like an ulterior motive in the back of my mind. Um, not only is it an awesome gym and stuff, but there was awesome coaches there to be able to pick their brains and learn off. And then four years down the line, like I see, I met Ross. We opened the, the training club and then uh, I've recently just came full-time in the training club. So it, it's been a long journey and a long process, but I feel like I've always had a kind of a linear passage and a direction that I've been pushing towards and mm-hmm. just aspiring to be better and to perform better and stuff. And, yeah. You know, when you made that decision to kind of obviously leave the teaching and pursue the PT career, was there much judgment from peers, family, girl, misses at the time? I don't know if you had one at the time, but was there any kind of like, 
Are you sure you're doing this? Because I know a lot of people are in that mindset. It's like teaching safe career, pension, this, that, and the other. Like you could, like you're safe. It's very safe. Which people, I say, old fashioned people are very much like, like that's what you need to do. Yeah. Whereas there might be some people who are like, you know what? It's your passion. Go and pursue what you really truly want to do. Were yeah. people sitting on the fence with it, or did you have any any judgment at all so, from people? I mean, I think I'm I'm always somebody who like likes to to challenge myself and somebody who wants to kind of go in my own direction. So if I, I felt this, it's hard to describe, but this almost pulse pulse to 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 push towards the, the PT as opposed to the teaching. I mean, I, I dabbled in the, the teaching. It's not that I, I could go right. I couldn't get in. Um, I can't do it. All right, sat that off. I had a go at it, and, and about three quarters, halfway through the year, I was like, I'm not feeling this at all, but I'm not somebody to quit something, right? I'll see it through. I kind of already made my mind up about halfway, three quarters of the way through the, the teaching degree, that that's not what I was going to pursue, but I would definitely see it through, because that's what I'd, the task I'd set myself. And don't get me wrong, I definitely used some of the skills and like, abilities that I, I learned from that, to help me coach, whether that's kind of my teacher-esque approach or the way I kind of explain something. I, I definitely feel like I, the teaching aspect plays a role there. But this kind of burning desire, like I say, was within me to, to kind of travel it. And if I've got that in my mind, that's what I'm going to run with. But I too totally understand what you mean. Like any outside influence, there's definitely going to be outside influence or people kind of going like you should do this because I mean like see this other option was to be a teacher it's a very respectable job it's well paid um it, it's structured it's organized you'll, you'll get a mortgage no problem pension no problem xyz X, like it's got all these bells and whistles but then it's not something I really want to do and if I'm going to find this rougher patch but it's the road less traveled the tougher option but it's what I want to do then that's still going to be the option I go down um which was like I see in in my mind, uh, the right the right choice to chase down. Like, see, it's it's took me full circle, really, mm-hmm. um, but it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was gonna say, and a lot of people probably might take the safer option. 30, 40 years down the line, they look back and think, "Fuck me, I wish I didn't do this. Like, I wish I went there. I wish I went the route that I wanted." And I know what it's like. Like, it's not gonna be. It's gonna be a lot harder doing the route, like especially the self employed route and trying to build your own business and all that stuff. There's so many different diameters and different like kind of areas you need to developing yourself not just in terms of pt but in terms of marketing business like the social media side of things and um, like everything like all this additional stuff that like we're doing right now like the podcast and stuff you're not getting yeah. paid you don't get paid it's like for the hours that you work in these normal jobs you're getting paid 10 15 20 pound or whatever it is for yeah. this it's like whatever i put in doesn't directly correlate what i get out of it with some Absolutely. things yeah if you just got it's just so many different things so it is a lot harder but if you love it if you've got a passion for it like it just things happen like sometimes you wake up be like fuck me i've got a long day i've got to do this that and the other like i don't have to do this video on post on social media but i know that i need to but yeah. it's what it's just the passion to get it because you know yeah, that you need to do absolutely. it is why you end up doing it but it's, absolutely, it's i couldn't see myself being stuck in like the, nah, the kind of just mm-hmm. normal nine to five for me like there'll be a reason there'll be an underlying reason why people are certainly programmed like that and i think mine like i've kind of like questioned queried myself a lot um, and this is going to go down a rabbit hole, but I mean, that's what it's for, I guess. Go for it. Um, for me, it's reflection on like the way I was brought up. So for instance, my dad, I've got a lot of respect for, a lot of love for, but my dad's done the same job since he was 18. He's now like 55, 56. 
and he's still doing that. He's still in that industry, he's still doing that job. Obviously, he does it to a very high standard, and he's very good at it. But it's not particularly what he wanted to do. He just knew he left school. That's what people did. They're going to work, and then just keep crapping on. And to me, I was like, nah, I'm not driven like that. Even when I went to college, my dad was like, you should just um, get a job, become an, an apprentice engineer or gas engineer. There's there's loads of electrician or something. There's loads of money in it. And I was like, it's not what I'm gonna do. I was like, I don't care if money's crap. Like I'm gonna um, go somewhere where like my mind and my passion, my heart takes me. And then went to uni and stuff. And like I see when when I went to, to Durham to, to become a teacher, as much as I got halfway through or three quarters way through, I'd set this task to myself to finishing it. And it was almost if if I did drop out, which I don't think I ever would have, it was I told you so from my dad. And in my mind, I was like, nah, I've just got to do me, got to do me, do me. This is what I've set myself. And then it's gone again, full circle, using that phrase as much as I possibly can. But now he, he speaks to me and he, he's like, you know what it is, on reflection, he's like, I'm really proud of what you've achieved and stuff. You just had your mind on something and you've just gone for it. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, mate, you're the main reason why I pushed so hard is because you told me <laughs> not to do that. But, uh, yeah, so again, like, yeah, everyone, so, everyone has their own reasons like, behind things. I was going to try and try to dive into it. Like, what was the reason behind you kind of really doing it? Because everyone's got the reason. Like, I, I, mine's obviously probably injury background like and the reason that I love what I do is because I think I've got a soft spot for helping people like my missus yeah. always says to me if there's anybody's got a knee back ankle injury I've got I just help them out as much as I can because I know I've been there myself but I've also got yeah. a thing because obviously I've always played football my dad's always been massive football fan always loved me playing like he, he still wants me to play now realistically I know he does still want me to play but I want to kind of get to that point where I can get to a certain point and I've got like the call like financial freedom or at least I like, get get to a point where I'm, I'm I'm happy and I can provide for other people and I can, yeah. can say to them you know what like I'm proud of what you do he tells me I'm, he's proud all the time but I want to get to that point that he can be like you know what you've made the right choice I'm really happy you've done that kind of thing yeah. as much as he's gonna hate to say that because I know you will if he's he probably will listen to this so I know you'll hate it but that's kind of where I want to go so it's great that everybody's got your reasons and you're talking about it mm-hmm. um it's probably why you want to help others so much because you've kind of had that your dad's been doing that sort of thing but you understand that the journey that you want to go on is what everyone else is telling you not to do but every, anybody can do whatever they want so helping people on their path is is definitely the most yeah, important thing uh 100 we didn't even i didn't even ask when did you start getting into training along that whole journey from in terms of gym training like what was the first sort of things that you did fitness wise gym wise well i mean i i literally went there i just went in i went in a Pure gym, and there was DW gym at the time um, in Sunderland. And yeah, honestly, like touching on here, why why it is what you do, this will get into it really. I was probably about 23, 24, and it was purely therapy. It wasn't to get jacked, it wasn't to get ripped or anything, or it wasn't for any particular reason. And it was literally just therapy. So I would go relentlessly, religiously by myself. And then when people would see that consistency, I had groups of friends and they'll go, oh, can I come train with you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is what time I go. This is what I'm going to be doing. X, Y, Z. Laid out in front of me. And they would come and they would train with me for a couple of weeks and then veer off. And I would just keep prattling on. And then there would be another friend going, oh, mate, I want to train with you. And then they would come train with us. And then eventually people were like, you know what it is? You'd be really good PT and stuff. And I was like, nah, I couldn't do it. I haven't got the confidence. I haven't got the charisma or anything. Um, just self-doubt, as, as we all have, I guess. Um, and then to a point where 
like I say, it became a little bit more of a passion. It started off as therapy and became a hobby, and became a passion. And then I did kind of like eventually listen to that many people telling me you should be a PT, you'd be good at it. Thought, yeah, let's go, let's have a crack. Um, and again, like, pays off again. But the reason, what I mean by it is it's therapy. Going back to me being this kind of skinny, insecure, no charisma, no confidence, um, never really had anything physically about me or kind of always, always self-doubt myself. For whatever reason, there's, there's all those thoughts that I guess each of us all, all have to a degree. Um, and then start to kind of benefit from it. And that's what I mean by the therapy. Mm. And again, this will go down a rabbit hole. I'll probably touch on it a little bit later. But I've got, we've all got, like I say, these, these little kind of thoughts and stuff. We've got these demons in my head and whether it's self-negative talk or whatever, to, to different degrees. And then this therapy would help kind of reprieve them. And then I thought, on reflection, I was like, right, if I do this, if I'm doing it, being a PT, I'm effectively, like, I don't want anybody else to be feeling that, like that. I don't want anybody to be feeling insecure, low, doubting themselves, confidence, which is something that kind of we, we can breed or others can breed for us. And... I want to be able to help people unlock that in themselves because, I mean, if I can unlock it in myself, who 15 years ago, I mean, when I was 15, like a teenager or even as a young adult, like in my prime or whatever, uh, like late teens, early 20s in my prime, I had not, nothing about me in terms of charisma, uh, confidence, physically. And my only strength was that I see it was academia. And I was like, how can I use this to best be able to help and serve other people so that they don't have to feel this level of lowness or insecurity that I've kind of lived through. So that kind of gives you the full understanding of why, when I started, probably why I started was to su suppress these, these little um, negative thoughts and stuff about myself to then bringing me through, through this journey into why I still want to be able to be better at it because I want to be able to help more people. I want to be able to help more people better and, um, have more of an impact and the, the way that I've found that I do that is becoming better and better at what I do and to bring my voice louder and louder and wider. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. No, I, love, no, I love that. I love talking to people who I can tell have such a passion for fitness and this, their story about like getting into fitness is so inspiring just because the, the kind of like say like a dark place or the place that kind of you felt a little bit lost and you were insecure and stuff like that and how much fitness has kind of developed you not just like physically but also mentally like i truly believe that tra like proper training can massively unlock so much potential in people and bring so much more out of people than just like building muscle or getting fitter or getting stronger whatever it is it can change you mess massively mentally the ability for you to go to a dark place within your training and push yourself and kind of go to places where you didn't think you yeah. were that you could previously like that transfers so much over into yeah. life into business into being able to put yourself out there like then I'll go and speak in front of a big audience or like even just doing like a small group of like 10, imagine like your first time doing a small group class. Like I remember the first class yeah. that I did when I first started PT and it was like 15 people or something like that. I was shitting myself, like stuff like that though. But like, like this podcast, mate, like we had a chat beforehand. Like, I was like, are you nervous? I was like, oh, a little bit. I was like, mate, I get nervous for every single one of my podcasts, but I know that like certain things that I've done with my training, like there's like workouts I've done in the past where you get a little bit nervous for beforehand, like, like, I used to hate running, so I always used to get nervous for that running sort of thing. But like, once you do something that you get nervous for, get through it, get onto the other side, you're like, 
God, I feel fucking good for doing it. That's why I keep doing these podcasts. As much yeah. as beforehand, I'm like, oh, I could cancel. Oh, like, I don't know if I'm <laughs> going to mess up the intro. Like, I've messed up intros before in podcasts. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm yeah. going to do it again here. Like, have I got my notes in? Have I slept well? Am I, am I feeling good for it? Like, you've got all them thoughts in your head, but putting yourself into the situation, like we talked about, I think it was before the podcast, talked about putting yourself in them situations, like, where you are a little bit scared and putting yourself out there. But putting yourself there getting through it and realizing you know what i'm still alive two feet on the ground yeah. i might have messed cool. up a little bit but like I, I said before you either learn from it or you you do well and you kind of take a step forward so no credit yeah. for you obviously talking about it it's an, it's an inspiring story for anybody who's been in that sort of place and you were like was it 23 ish you said i was 23 but i mean like i say I, i've had spells like most of my, my from adolescent so from being like 13 14 and was a big kind of, I'm going to call it a flare up if you like, but I'll explain what I mean. And then again, through college, again, through, through uni. Um, and then again, like little spells early, I'm going to say early adulthood, but it's going to be like mid twenties. Um, and, and these flare ups, like I say, are like I say, the, these voices, whether the negative self talks or whether it's kind of, I'm beating myself up. It's difficult to explain. And like I say, and it, and it would lead me, and I mean, I'll touch on this really, and it would lead me to self-harm effectively, Nick. And mm. like I said, right from a young age, from like 13, 14, and it it would get to that. And it, it would, it's crazy because, I mean, I, again, trying to use that term really, but that was my only escape. So whether it was um, using like a, a blade or whatever, and it, again, it's tough to comprehend, but that was my release. The, the best way I can give you an analogy is you imagine a container with loads of pressure and then all you have to do is kind of create a little opening and then the pressure completely releases that's the only way i can kind of explain it and that's how i felt so whenever i would kind of self-harm anything i would feel this pressure kind of release and then training kind of helped re replace that in a way because like you see i can push myself to some dark places i really challenge myself and then once i've done a certain challenge um, and it's the hardest thing I've ever physically had to do, I've then set the new bar. So that's right now, that's your tolerance level. Right now, whenever you do anything else and it's below that, um, you, you've still got that bar. So recently did that Hadrian's Wall Walk, which is probably the toughest mentally and physically thing I've ever did. That's new, my new bar. But I mean, I didn't even get complete. I did like three quarters of it. My body, like, I was like uh, dehydrating and stuff. But yeah. And then... But that's my new bar. So when I do it again, and I'll make sure I get it done, that will be my new bar. So anything below it is tolerable. It's it's mm -hmm. uh, like I can get through it. And mm -hmm. I think like see, it's been a learning process mentally, really, to go right. Well, self harm is the only thing I could do at 13, 14. Still not finding anything else better in college years, 17, 18. Still not finding anything at like 21, 22. And then like 23, 24, finding this kind of fitness thing, like this seems to be ticking the box. Like, um, uh, again, and that's what I mean by, there'll be people out there who don't want to voice this and stuff. And I'm at a point now, I'm comfortable to talk about it. But there'll be people out there who are enduring the same sort of thing, these same levels of insecurities or uh, negative self-talks, demons, if you want to call them that. And I want to be able to help people through that. And there is different other options available. And like, see, fitness is one that's massively helped me. Tackling your nutrition is uh, as much as it sounds like a typical health and fitness thing. There's the light in it. Perfect. Double clap. Hey, <laughs> bang um, on. 
Sounds like a typical thing to do, but I mean, eating right and stuff, it just seems to be ticking loads of boxes. And um, a thing that I, I kind of learned about was this bucket theory, and you might have heard this, but effectively, you've got this bucket, I'll use a coffee cup, and then you've got loads of water going into it. That's all the stresses of your life and stuff. And you need to be putting holes into this bucket, otherwise it's going to overflow. And that's when I have these flare-ups. So I need to be putting holes in it. So the, the gym is a massive hole for me. Helping people is another massive hole for me. Walking the dogs, spending time with my missus, is it, uh, my family. Massive holes for me to, to relieve this, this pressure and this water overflowing. Now, yeah, you've got work stresses. But I mean, if you absolutely love what you do like we do, it, it's not particularly a heavy flow of water into your bucket. So it's all about managing that. And uh, like I say, this is an opportunity for me to be able to help people create holes in the bucket, if you like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate you talking about that because it takes a lot. And especially being men, it's not the sort of the stereotype of talking about this sort of thing, but this is the opportunity. This is what the podcast is about, bringing them stuff out. So I appreciate you talking yeah. about that. But you talked about them sort of levels, how you kind of, you were at that 13, 14 down here, then you started building yourself back up, going to the gym. Yeah. And, like the, the boundaries and like, like never ending like you should always be trying to progress so like does, that's yeah. what happens with too many people they get to like they might have a little bit of inspiration when they're like 20 21 like early 20s and they'll get into this like kind of state of their life maybe they're in a job that they're not too happy about or maybe they're in a relationship they're not too happy about or the the body's not in the shape they want to but they're just kind of maintaining in like that position for like the rest of their life they don't really kind of achieve anything they're probably like they might have the occasional day where they're a little bit happier. There might be a Saturday night or something. They live for that Saturday night because the rest of the week, the Monday to Friday, they don't like. But yeah. if you've got that mindset where it's like just you always want to constantly level up and you set that like even just it could start with your training. That's what the big thing I'm a believer in. You obviously mentioned it yourself. With your training, it could start off just going to the gym once a week or it could be even just getting outside and going for a walk once a day, like five minutes a day. Then the next day, right, the next week, you're like, right, I've done that. Every single day, five minutes, I'm going to do 10 minutes today. I'm going to do 15. You know what? I'm going to sign up to that gym and like put myself in that situation. And then it just builds up. And then before you know it, you could be entering yourself to do the Great North Run or doing a marathon or like doing Hadrian's Wall, whatever it is. Like it just starts and yeah. it doesn't matter what age you start it. Like you said, you kind of really got into it. Like 23 was when you started it. I'm the same. I started PT and what am I now? 24. I started 22. So I was a little bit later on as well. So everybody can start. You don't have to start at 14 and like, do it you have six years on the belt by the time you're 20 start at like 30 if you're 30 years old like i've got a client colin who's uh who's he started with me when he was probably 68 he's 70 now he's never exercised in his life in school never like awesome. he, he said to me like, i've done nothing he was he was like, really busy with work really their career focused business stuff and now he's retired he's like i need to put my like my health first for a little bit so he's went from, yeah he's went from like yeah he's he's went from doing literally nothing he could barely do five minutes on the cross trainer when we first started like it was the first session we done in i was like all right we'll just do a steady little walk on the treadmill and we'll probably go on the cross just to get him moving and he was yeah. silent for five minutes on the cross trainer i was like right okay we're starting from scratch here now we're at the point where he's like you can deadlift like 60 kilograms we've got a, wow. we've got a goal to get him 70 kilograms at the age of 70 so he's just turned 70 now and then he's he's like bench pressing god knows what he can move he's doing like he's got one of the fastest 500 meter times on the ski in my gym done 500 meters in like two minutes on the skier which is like decent going so like wherever whatever age you're at you might not be happy at your body you're 20 you might not be happy where you're at when you're 40 but just starting kind of like you can change your life at any age um, but like i said thanks for, thanks for sharing your story anyway mate appreciate that uh, so um, we'll talk about yeah. your pt side of things so 
First job was at Castleford, you said, your first PT kind of was job. In, uh, Castle, Castletown. So, Castletown, um, sorry. Yeah, that was, so that was technically the second gym. The first gym, I'll not name for whatever purposes. Um, <laughs> um, well, that was a, so first off started in, in a, it was a small group training facility, really, actually, funny enough. Um, but it was dead basic and there was only like a limited timetable. So it was literally dropping sessions. So there was three hours. You'd come in between five and half, six, half, six and half, seven, half, seven, half, eight. Come in, there'd be a drop in and there'd be a rip working workout on the board. And it was pretty much like left your own devices. And when I look back, I mean, I see this all the time as well. If you look back at where you were last year and you don't cringe a little bit, whether it's your programming or what you were doing or kind of what you were spending your time with and you don't cringe a little bit, you haven't really grown. You have hit that point of comfortness and stagnation. So when I look back, I'm like, oh God, that was, why was that even a thing? Well, it was. Um, and it, I guess it was the first step, the stepping stone. And with it being the first gym I was at, I didn't know any any different. Um, after that though, the guy who was running it and stuff was on like X, Y, and Z versus like enhancements and stuff, we'll call them. And I was like, well, this is not me. Like, so I'm going to take a little bit of a step back. So took a little bit of a step back, started training by myself again. Um, and then pretty much told me like, uh, this isn't going to work out. I was like, fine, not a problem. Went elsewhere, went to a gym called SR2, which I don't even think exists anymore. Um, I think they've kind of set, set up a different thing. Was there for a year and it was really, really slow actually in terms of PT and I think if somebody is a new PT or just about to start doing it you don't worry like I mean if your first year is relatively slow hang in there because it does pick up and I think there's something like a stat where 90% of new PTs are not PTs anymore within the first six to nine months and that's crazy I think just people maybe lose faith in themselves doubt themselves like I said just keep pushing or try and develop yourself to a different standard than what your peers are around you. And then you're always offering something a little bit better, different tangent there. But then after that, that's when I went to performance fitness center. And that was probably when I hit that point of self-realization and goes, right, this is going a little bit too slow. Um, how do I change this up? How do I develop myself? Right. Well, he's a, he's a gym. I've got an opportunity to work at. There's high standard of coaches available. Let's jump in there. Yeah, the idea is I'm not going to be the best. I'll not be the busiest. But I'll be able to learn from those. And then three, four years down the line, that might, might be big-headed and some people might disagree. It's their opinion and this is mine. But I felt like I worked my way up and became like probably the better of the PTs that were in that facility. And then met Ross and he obviously has this kind of uh, fire up him, this drive it's contagious and I was like right um, introduce myself to this lad and see see where, where his head's at and it wasn't probably until the first lockdown where this facility actually got formulated or a thing and then to think only a year later we're already I would say thriving and um, nowhere near being satiated with where we're at um, we're always like kind of challenging each other and I think it goes back to that if you're in, this, you're in the room if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room and me and Ross have got a great dynamic where we'll, we'll 
pluck at each other and go, right, why is this like this? What can we do with this? Um, have you thought about doing this? We'll always challenge each other. And I think you need that kind of accountability for one. I mean, that's what we offer for clients in any way. And two, that kind of tenacity of upgrade yourself, upgrade yourself, upgrade yourself. And give me that evidence. Give me that deliverable or that measurable that you are consistently pushing for new boundaries. Mm-hmm. No, some good points there, mate. The first thing, first thing you said about obviously your first year PT was really slow. Mine was the same. I kind of didn't really know what to do. Like, yeah. I just didn't know like how to approach clients. Like I didn't know how to pick them up. Like I was just everything's just a learning curve for you. So and like yeah, you said, yeah. that stat yeah. about the ninety percent of people cut out. It's the same with anything. I think I heard one about podcast. I think like um the I think it was it's something about ninety percent or something. Like that. But I think it's if you don't get it past the first ten to fifteen podcasts, most people just kind of cut off and leave it there. It's just kind of. Same as you've got to play the long game if you kind of go on the self-employed route. You do have to because if you think about it, the ones, the people who you hear who are successful have been doing it for at least probably five years minimum if they get lucky. Probably yeah. 20, 30 years, most of them when they actually make it. A lot of people don't have the success till the 60, 70 sometimes. So it's just playing that long game. So like I said, you'll learn from other people, putting yourself in situations where to learn from others because that's one thing that I kind of know I need to learn from is putting myself in situations with others because I'm very independent and I like doing things on my own. But little things like me coming to train with train at your gym last week, hearing your ideas and looking at what you are doing and picking your brains and doing the podcast and stuff like this, I'm learning from you and people can get really comfortable, especially if you are self-employed, being in the little bubble, especially if you're kind of doing all right and you say you're making enough money to keep yourself going and you've got enough clients and you're still in the right. But like I said, it's always easy to get comfortable. Always put yourself in situations. Yeah. Uh, we'll touch about it in a second, like seminars, putting yourself out there, something that I want to do myself. Train at other gyms. Go and look at what the best gym in your area is doing. Go maybe travel somewhere and look at the best gym in the region, the country, whatever yeah. it is. Go different places and always learn from others because I said it's so easy to get comfortable, especially when you're kind of at that point where you're doing okay. Like You can easily stay yeah. at that point forever, but if you really want to help mm-hmm. and impact as many people as you want, you've got to level it up. Yeah um That's that much so when did you what so, so in terms of role models we'll talk about that in terms of obviously we'll touch on seminars and stuff in terms of training specifically people who you've looked up to or looked into research wise or maybe just have inspired you in the fitness career obviously i know that you've got that last three questions we'll save that to right to the end but um yeah. people who you kind of look into in, in seminars and stuff that you've been to previously um i mean in terms of like i say when i first got into it it wasn't that I kind of clocked this men's health magazine or this bodybuilder or whatever. It was more so like, um, again, like therapy. But then, like, see, when you get into it a little bit, you do kind of start going, oh, well, he's doing pretty good things or he's doing pretty good things. Um, but, oh God, there's loads, isn't there, really? Yeah. But there's loads of different dynamics as well. And I, I feel like two totally opposite ends of the spectrum um, would be, like, people who are, like, Remember, study the health and fitness, but sport. Obviously, you've got like Arnie. Obviously, you've got to mention him really, which I bet a load of people do. But I mean, what I like about Arnold Schwarzenegger is that he he was doubted, and he was kind of like when he he's, I've, I've watched like videos countless who wasn't, and he was labeled like I want to be a bodybuilder. I want to be the best bodybuilder in the world. And his mates and everyone mocked him. His peers totally doubted him. And he, he kept pushing to, to prove his point. He had this vision, like I say, and he just went straight for it. And then he says, right, I want to be an actor in Hollywood. He was told, like, you can't. You've got a ridiculous voice, X, Y, and Z. And that's what got him the role as the Terminator um, because he had this, this weird voice. And then he was told, um, you, you can't.
upon be like in politics. <laughs> he did all that. I just think not even as a sports mindset, but just his general mindset is if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put my absolute all into it and I'm going to perform it to a good standard. So I think you've got to really admire that. But then I see like all oh, the ends of the spectrum, people like uh, Bruce Lee or Muhammad Ali, like they're people who come into mind who have got like X amount of quotes, like all three of those people technically have really got get quoted all the time. But Bruce Lee, somebody who owned his craft, developed his own style of martial arts and stuff and literally dedicated his life to it. Um, to Again, to be performing at something to a really high standard. And then you've got someone, again, Muhammad Ali, who we all know. Um, but what he did really well was he was a thinker as well. So he wasn't just able, able to physically perform. Um, he had a fight, Rumble in the Jungle, with George Foreman, who was a, a bigger, a better fighter at the time. And he, he knocked him out. And it was like nobody had ever gone three, more than three rounds with George Foreman before that. And Muhammad Ali played mind games with him and thought, out-thought him. And that's what won one in that fight. And But again, these, these three different individuals have all got their own kind of unique aspects. But what really inspires me about them is the dedication, the application, and the consistency and persistence of executing what their mindset's on to achieve their goals. And I think that's what inspires me. Mm. It's just a relentless mindset. That's what I like. The way I see this is relentless. It's just like no matter what people yeah. say, no matter what happens, kind of thing. You know what? I'm fucking. Get, I'm getting where I want to go. Yeah, if yeah. you've got that mindset, it's dangerous because it's kind of like you. Everyone's got their own ego, and everyone's got that sort. Of, you've got to have an ego. I think if you are yeah. in, the, especially in the fitness industry these days, you've got to have a little bit of it because if not, like people are just going to trample all over you. You've yeah. got to be like, you know what? Like I'm going to make mistakes. I might disagree with people or some people might disagree with me but if i'm nowhere if i've got a path you've got to kind of push down that route um, and just keep on going no, no matter what kind yeah. of comes your way so definitely in terms of training specifically what would you say your style of coaching your style of training you're like i say like training philosophy obviously you're not like potter quinn or anything yeah. like that but hey you never know you, you might be one day mate you never know the hoggy uh, <laughs> the infamous yeah. hoggy i've um i mean I think initially it was probably like I say maybe it's your first year you, you're not really sure I mean I remember um, sitting down with, with a friend of mine who who literally does marketing for a living and she was like going through all these questions and stuff expecting me to like fully understand my brand and I, I, that first conversation I was like I don't know and in terms of like, like what's your demographic and I was like people um, just people and you just want to help everyone but I think the more and more you get into it, the more and more you refine your niche and stuff and you find out what you're good at or whatever. And don't get me wrong, I do still just want to help people. But then when you're like, how do you, I mean, try to think how to word this. You do have to have a niche in the fitness industry because it's so saturated. Like you've got to have like, you've, I think to start out with, you should, you probably do have to kind of help as many people as you as you can. Literally, when you start out as a, as a PT, you need you want as many clients as possible. So you're probably going to take a few yeah. who, yeah. it's not really your style of training, but you learn from it. You learn to work with yeah. different demographics, different age groups and stuff. And then down the line, you hopefully do kind of pick up something that one that you, like a type of yeah. client that you, you enjoy training and two, the one that yeah. like you feel like you work best with. Absolutely. Well. I mean, that's the kind of thing I was thinking as well. Like, so you try different methods and stuff, like you said, 
because of the different clientele and you would find out which one you'd be particularly strong at. And um, actually relatively recently had a client um, define the way that I train as being a bit more holistic. And I thought that was quite an interesting term to, to put on like a train style. Um, and I think I probably agree in that, yeah, at the training club, we do a lot of bodybuilding times, functional fitness, um, trying to create like a, a well-rounded athletic individual that can move well um, and has good sense of well-being. And I think that moving well and sense of well-being is really important. And that's something that uh, I kind of practice myself. So I might not be the strongest in the gym, um, but I'll definitely, I'm, I'm quite proud of how I, I can move and how I can coordinate my body and how I can kind of um, perform. And yeah, I might probably, I think it's important not to be pushing too much intensity so that you, you risk of injury or X, Y, Z, or you kind of compensate for, for whatever. Or hitting that sweet spot and just refining that, and it's such a kind of fine line sweet spot. I think under intensity, you, you're not stimulating the tissue enough, you're just kind of um, spinning your wheels. Too much intensity, I mean, that, that for me is not where I'm at. I mean, I'm not a bodybuilder, I'm not a, a prep coach or anything like that. Um, so for me, moving well, sense of well-being and being a bit more of an all-rounder is kind of what I push for. Um, and like I say, that's why we, we combine elements of bodybuilding for hypertrophy, um, stimulate tissue, um, correct movement patterns, but also um, functional fitness in that people can actually do these movements and can feel the benefit in day-to-day life. And to me, that's probably what's more popular to maybe a, a larger demographic and that kind of ticks the box for me in wanting to help everyone. Like I say, so, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably say I'm kind of sitting down a similar route in terms of like, I'm big on moving well and like feeling good. Yeah. Like there's no point lifting ridiculously heavy if you're in pain and agony for days yeah. afterwards. Like obviously probably from my background with a lot of injuries, I have to adapt my train to fit me. Like everyone's different. I have clients who have got like joint issues who are a little bit older, like some of them got arthritis and stuff now. So you've got the young athletes, but... The young athletes are probably the ones who you want to work with the most because you want to prevent them from getting to that point. So it's just like, yes, they might be fine doing ridiculously heavy stuff to failure, like, don't know, stupid things like a set of 20 leg press going into like back squats straight after, like something stupid where you can get injured. But down the line, that's going to catch up with them. So having that kind of ability to, yes, train with intensity and obviously provide enough stimulus that you're going to make the adaptions that you want, but also make sure they, they can do that when they're 30, when they're 40, when they're 50, even when they're, when they're 70, like my, like my client Colin, like I mentioned, being able to do it for your whole life and not being like the prime example is the Ronnie Coleman example. Like he's battered now and yeah. he's on God knows how many painkillers and stuff. You don't want to be that. You want It's all about longevity and stuff. So I think that kind of approach to fitness yeah. has become a lot more kind of say, popular these days. Um, mm-hmm. like the functional side of training as well, definitely. Well, I think like, like when you, you first mentioned your client Colin there, like I, I was excited. I was thinking like, oh, what was the prompt for him? Like, what was it that made him? And if it was him getting retired and going, I want to be able to uh, to move well and, and look after myself a little bit more. That excites me because I just think like, good on him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, there's no number on it that like, you have to start, like you mentioned earlier. Um, and it's about like that better sense of like life, like being able to live your life how you want it. And like you use that example of Ronnie Coleman. Yeah, he's absolutely goosed. And it's sad, really, because he's this icon, and he still will be. But I mean, he's—I mean, he sacrificed his, his life and his his well-being. 
Yeah, mm. it's like you said, he's a role model. So there's probably going to be people now who are training like he was because they're inspired mm. by him. Like we yeah. need to kind of understand that. And well, obviously it's great that he's an idol. He's done some amazing things and what he's achieved with his Olympias and his physique yeah. was incredible. But if we kind of teach the younger generation that, you know what, we're back on. It's every 15 minutes, you know, because I'm looking on the timer. Every 15 minutes, I'll give you a heads up. If we end up going a bit another 15 minutes, I'll give you a heads up. But uh, back to the point in terms of, um, <laughs> should have a little timer next to your, um, next to your desk. Yeah, for anybody listening to the podcast, the lights keep on going out if we're wondering what you're laughing at. So watch it on YouTube if you haven't. Um, but yeah, back to the point, obviously people are going to be inspired and stuff and want to train like Ronnie Coleman, like lifting ridiculously heavy. The phone's probably not going to be great and they're going to end up picking them injuries. But if we can educate the younger generation, like, you know what, there's another way to train that you're going to probably get pretty decent results, but you're also going to be able to do it for a lot longer time and you're going to be able to play yeah. with your grandkids and move around. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it might not be, it might be like maybe one or two percent. But to be fair, it's probably going to be just, just as effective because you're going to be able to do it for longer. That's it's the big thing. I mean, like you said, I think a key word that you said, like it's about educating people. And I mm. think because, I mean, yeah, Ronnie Coleman's physique at his peak um, whereas trying to sell this idea of look you can move well for longer it's not really like a sexy sell is it like people yeah. are like oh, yeah great I could look like that if I want to alright then um, it's not as easy a, as like a, a pitch but then when you start getting into it I think and I've found it as well personally and you probably have yourself after initially somebody might come in and go right I want six pack I want to drop X amount of pounds and then a month into it, two months into it, they kind of look back and you know, go, do you know what it is? I really like appreciate how well I can move and how well I'm living now. And you're like, that's what I was trying to get you to do in any way. Yeah. Um, now you're appreciating it. But it's, again, you, you can't go, can you imagine how well and how easy stairs could be or how... How easy it would be to carry your shopping in or whatever. It's hard, it isn't. It's not as like sexy and attractive yeah. as like six pack muscles, all that sort of yeah. stuff. But it's it's the little things like that, and it's also the little things that a lot of people want to get down to a certain weight. Like I've got clients yeah. like I want to be sixty kilograms. I want to be this, that, and the other. But I got clients who they've been working with me. That was their that was in their head. That's what they wanted originally. But then they lose a few kilograms, they move better, and probably the probably build a little bit of muscle. And they're like, you know what, my clothes my clothes are feeling better on me now. Like the the stress that I couldn't fit in for years fits me now. These trousers, whatever it is. So it kind of changed. I'm like, that's what we're aiming for. We're not bothered about the number on the scales. We're bothered about that because that's what's yeah. going to change your life and make you a lot more, ha a lot happier. Um, so yeah, people, people, it's getting people to buy into the process and then they'll end up realizing down the line that the goal that the ones who want have, once they had it at one point, might not be actually what they really yeah. did truly want. This this touches on like finite and infinite thinking. So if we, we, we have a finite goal, so right, I want to be... Um, 10 pounds lighter okay when we achieve that like x y z happens but if you set yourself uh, a, an infinite goal a goal in which you will never kind of like hit effectively for instance right i want to be able to move better i want to be able to get stronger i want to be able to to be more efficient i think that's something that you'll get further down the line and you'll just continually go down that line like it's infinite you'll never really achieve fitness do you know I mean you just get fitter? But if your goal is finite, I think that's where people are so tuned into and they go, right, I need to be 10 pounds lighter or I need to fit into this uh, size, whatever. Or um, I need to see my abs. Like, yeah, they, they're finite goals. Great that you can have them, but they need to be part of a bigger infinite goal. Um, yeah, they can be little measurables to get us along that infinite goal, but I think to be able to recognize an infinite goal is, is more powerful 
absolutely. And it's arguably more important than, than just hitting these little, uh, but again, people tend to come to yourself and, and me with these, these finite thinking goals, these short-term X is where I need to be when it, it's not always like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's like I said, it's just buying into the process. Then the, the will learn down the line. A lot of people do start with that certain goal and then the will yeah, develop yeah. a different kind of uh, intent down the line. So last topic before we, we wrap up, a little bit about life outside of fitness because a lot of people get so caught up in it. Like I myself, I'm terrible. My, my like At the minute, my life balance isn't really great. What's yours yeah. like, Karina? What's it been? Because obviously you talked about your time when you were at school and you were working from like seven till nine at night or something yeah. like that. How was it back then compared to kind of things that you do now to make it a bit better? I think it's definitely more balanced now. Like I say, I mean, mm-hmm. we've, I've only came in the training club full time. Obviously, I was here a lot. And anyway, um, this is at least week two effectively, but already me and Ross have imposed like a structure that we're going to follow. Um, and I mean, life of a, a PT or a coach is... It is what it is. I mean, you do work long days. Um, you do work split shifts. It kind of is how it is. Um, it's not this 60,000 £60, pound a year industry, whatever, that you get sold of this dream. Um, especially not if if you're in it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my structure now, or at least since I, I left that kind of aspect of work life, school life, and kind of PT life was manic then it's definitely a lot more balanced now and I think it's important to include things into your life that are really separate like you see from separate from work separate from whatever so some things that I do and I, I make sure I'll absolutely do these um, at least two, two three times a week things like um, riding the motorbike so for me that's a good little thing it's where I get a zone out there's literally only me only the task at hand, everything else. Other things that are very similar are surfing. So I like to surf, but it's the same thing. You zone out, you've got to focus on the task. If not, a wave's going to smash you um, or you can drown. So you've got to really focus. Um, cold water exposure, so going for a swim in the sea. Other things are, are like walking the dogs on something and putting a podcast in um, or a, an audio book and just totally losing, losing yourself. Um and just give yourself that time to to waste time uh, effectively. Like the, mm-hmm. I think we all need that. And it kind of comes back to that bucket theory thing in that you need that balance. I think if you don't, you, you'll end up with stressed as I was trying to balance all those things and probably hitting that point where I had one of those flare-ups and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. it's definitely important to get balance and for me, I'm big on family. Like, like I say, I'm the youngest out of four. So family is really important. I've got three nieces and a nephew and um, I love just spending time with them and just being around them. And uh, again, my, my my family and my missus and my dogs. I'm a big fan of dogs. Like I say, Lola, yeah, you I, I don't know if you can hear my little one chewing a bone the whole time. Yeah. I hope she's not too loud. She's down. No, she's I can't hear her. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, like, again, like it's important to just like allow yourself these things um and i've seen that firsthand and i mean i'll use ross as an example i'm sure you'll not mind but he's somebody who he's his work rate is tenacious like hats off to him i give him all the credit he, he deserves for, for grafting his arse off all the time but something he doesn't do enough of is give himself some time to kind of decompress everything and just 
and it'll allow him to reset in, in folks. And I think actually, to give him credit, he started to do that more and more, to just give himself that opportunity to reset and see him or me or examples of why it's important to include that. So, yeah, other than that, I'm, I mean, I always say this jokingly, but semi-seriously, I'm pretty boring, really. Like, <laughs> I go on a motorbike by myself. Um, I walk the dogs um, with an audio book in. Um, or, or surf or something. And there's only you. Yeah, I'm all I'm all for that sort of stuff. I'm an, I'm a lonely bastard as well, mate. I don't I hardly see anybody. Like we when I came around to your gym and stuff, you said like our socialising time is like training. Like it's yeah. I, that's what I enjoy. Like I have realised how much I missed it with all the lockdowns and stuff. I said that was the first time when I came out to yours that I've trained with people in yeah. like since what was it December like, before actual like COVID yeah. like the, the second lock the third lockdown sorry. Yeah. So that's like our social time. That's what we enjoy doing things and I'm the same like I like to do my like I do the cold showers and stuff like that in the morning I like to do my my stretching yoga listen to podcasts and go for walks with with, with Laura and my dog in the morning like little things like that like I love doing them because it just switches you off and kind of does give you that mental reset and yeah. like you mentioned with the situation Ross was in I've been in that situation when you've been working like absolute mad and you you're constantly tired you're not thinking straight and you're kind of like you're doing things but you're not doing them to the best ability that you know you can so like trying to focus a bit more on my sleep which is a big thing that people obviously neglect and when you are busy and you end up having one or two many coffees and stuff down yeah. you, you're just in a constant state of stress and fatigue like giving yourself that time even if it's just two or three like just give yourself a weekend like every so often just to be like you know what i'm switching off and you'll find when it comes to that monday you're like right i'm ready right my brain's thinking this that and the other and you'll, you'll come up with better ideas especially in the world of fitness and personal training you're working long hours and it is it is a grind at times. You're up early. You're sometimes in the gym. You don't finish till nine, half nine sometimes if you're training that late. But it is tough. Um, but balance is, is massively important. Something that we can all probably learn um, to be better at because we're probably influenced yeah, by people totally. you see on social media who are constantly grind, 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 doing stuff. You can't be like that all the time. Um, we'll touch on quickly about your... Sorry, were you going to say something? Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say I completely agree. I think like when you see some people, it's a highlight reel, isn't it? Of yeah. like, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding. And again, we probably live in this age, like I've mentioned, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur or do their own thing, which is awesome. But to the levels where social media portrays, um, it, it's effectively a lot of the time either unrealistic or unhealthy. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can be awesome and be on the grind, but you, you, you're going to be burning this candle at both ends eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, especially in terms of like, productivity and stuff you'd rather have good quality stuff than just hammering stuff out which is just like for the sake of it uh which I, you can get into the habit of so easy we'll quickly touch on last thing before we wrap up with the three questions you are you completely sober because we had a little chat at the gym are you stone cold sober for a few yeah, years sobriety i mean yeah whenever i mention this right it always i always feel like oh, people must think i was like an alcoholic before but no, no i'm i'm more for it to be fair i'm all for anything like that so so, it, so you, you're stone cold Sober, stone cold, stone cold. Drink. don't drink at all. Right, yeah, so what's the reason behind it? Because I've, I've, I've seen it kind of crop up a little bit more with people for more for productivity. Like I've been doing probably like, well, it's only been two months. Like I feel like I've achieved something amazing doing two months, but Absolutely. it helps so much with your productivity, honestly. But what was your reasons behind it? I mean, again, I'm, I'm pretty boring like me, so I haven't really got a reason. I mean, when I was yeah. younger, I mean, you go out with your mates and they would all get cans or whatever from the corner shop like that cringy moment where people go we go in the shop for us something like that i'm sure that happens everywhere if not maybe it's just penny school but yeah 
And then I would always be like there, like not doing it and be like, nah, I'm fine. I mean, like I say, I went to Pennywell school, so school was 95% chavs and all my mates were chavs really. And then I'll be sat there in my jeans, um, looking like I'm in with the wrong crowd. They were all drinking their cans of Fosters or whatever. And I'm like, nah, I'm fine. And then they would be getting whatever narcotics out. And then literally as teenagers. And then in adulthood, I think I went out. I think I probably wait until my 18th birthday to go out. And I can safely say I've probably been in Sunderland Town Centre um, less than 20 times in my life. And I've been to Newcastle twice. And once was sober. And it's still a good time. And then back in 2016, I was like, you know what it is? It never does anything for me. I never get in on a Friday, not looking forward to the weekend kind of person. I'm not in going, what I could do with a cold beer. Never, ever been like that. And never, never touched drugs or anything and never had a single drag of a cigarette. And it just doesn't do anything for me. And people always ask me like, well, oh, why, why, why? And I'm like, I ain't got a reason. I mean, I just, not me. Um, and I think, again, kind of reflects back to if I've got my mind to something, I'm not going to be peer pressured or influenced. I'm just going to do me. And um, yeah, so it's been over five years now. 2016 is the last time. And uh, yeah, I never crave it. The only thing I do crave, I mean, my vice would be Pepsi Max, which yeah, is bad. Like Pepsi, Pepsi so Max, you- Pepsi over uh, Coke, man. Pe- Pepsi Max oh, yeah, is a different level Yeah, 100%. So- I'm agreed. People are like, oh, it's got a spot me in. And, uh, and I'm like, look, I've never smoked. I don't drink. I, I mean, I train near near off every single day. I eat right. If a spot me is going to kill me, let it. If that's the one yeah. thing that's going to get me, I mean, I'll take my chances. But, uh, oh. yeah. Yeah, I know. There's a good thing that I hear about, um, like, people going sober and stuff. Alcohol is the only drug that people, when you don't do it, think, like, what the fuck's wrong? Like, this, is there something wrong with you kind of thing? It's the only drug in the world where people judge you for not doing it. Like if don't do cocaine, it's like oh yeah. If you don't, if you don't smoke, it's like oh well, obviously like I understand that. But alcohol, yeah. like oh, there's something wrong with you. Like I don't understand the big thing. I think it's been a bit more accepted because I've seen um, Chris Will uh, Williamson who does the Modern Wisdom podcast. I listen to, yeah. him. he's a big believer in sobriety and stuff like that for productivity more than anything. Which is what I've found because uh, you're not you're not you're, you're losing a day in a sense. Oh, no worries, mate. Just, uh, I, I literally set my watch for like fifteen minutes and it's just approaching. So is it went up? Is it just about? <laughs> We'll right, it's a good time and I like that we're we'll chatting away too much that's, a, that's what it is uh, but yeah in terms of like in terms of like, you're not wasting a day like if you're going out on a Saturday or a Friday night you, your Saturday or Sunday is going to be ruined isn't it it's probably going to carry on to the next day and I think a lot of people get into the habit of going out like just having a drink on a Friday night after a 9 to 5 Monday to Friday like they just get into the habit of it it's like yeah. a subcut like a thing that they don't even think about like oh beer oh let's go to the pub let's go let's go out on a Friday Saturday night because it's like they might not be 100% happy in what they're doing. And I know, like, what are the kind of mindset I've been in, like, at the minute is, why do I need a drink? Like, there's no reason, because I'm happy with what I'm doing. If anything, it's going to stop me from being productive the next day, yeah. and it's going to stop me, not just in terms of, like, my business, in terms of, like, I do a lot of my online stuff on Sundays or the weekend. Like, by Monday, my training's probably not going to be as good. My sleep's not going to be as optimal. And I'm very much, like, 
I'm very kind of OCD with everything. I need everything to be kind of 100%. So even if I have a late night on a Saturday night, I'm like, my Sunday's slightly ruined. So yeah. there's loads and loads of negatives to it. I understand. I enjoy a drink every so often, like if it's a special occasion or like I've been looking forward to something for a while. Like if I end up going on holiday next year, I'm probably going to have a drink. But yeah, in terms of like just doing it for the sake of it, I don't understand it. Um, it's just kind of being so socially accepted and it's a social norm these days. That's why people do it. And like fair play if you're doing it for so long because a lot of people would not be able to do that it it probably is like i mean a sense of social conformity effectively um i just want to say credit for going two months as well because i remember like maybe two three months into it that's when people are still like it's only been a month it's only been two months you've only done dry january or whatever um and that's when people are always in your ear and now i'm at a point where people oh you don't drink here i'm like yeah finally people just kind of accept and don't like push a beer on you or anything like that but um yeah, there's, there's, I mean, I've never ever drank enough to, to be sick, to hang a hangover, to not remember the night before. I've never drank that much. So I think I've always kind of in the back of my mind gone, don't really like, enjoy this. Um, and I've been on nights out um, and just stayed on Pepsi. I had my engaging party and literally just stayed on Pepsi Max. Yeah. I mean, I had a great time. And, I mean, uh, if you have a good five, six Pepsis, you'll have, there's a little bit of caffeine and you'll have a little bit of a buzz from it. Don't worry, yeah, there's a little bit of that. It's also like, go oh, right, I'm going to go home about now and literally walk around the corner, get in your car and just yeah. drive home, not waiting for a taxi or anything. And then, yeah, yeah some of your mates go, yeah, I'll drop us off. Yeah, all right, no worries. Yeah, there's, that's what I would have paid for a taxi. And you're like, mate, you give us 20 quid. And they're like, nah, it's fine. Uh, all right, man. Yeah. yeah, I know. When, when the piss, they don't care, mate. It's just hilarious. But no, nah, I know. I, there's so many things. Like, I will probably have a drink. I, I, I might end up doing com- go completely sober eventually. I don't know that, but I might have a drink every so often. But I think if you can control it and just like maybe for whatever occasion, if you look forward to it, then for, fair enough, enjoy it. But if you're letting, if you're doing it kind of sub, like without even thinking subconsciously and just going straight for it and it's impacting your life negatively to a point where. You're so much better without it. I would just try and cut it out, or maybe just try and cut down to start with, and then it'll end up getting to a habit. And there's nothing wrong with it. Like I said, I will enjoy a drink, but um, there's probably more negatives than positive. It's probably a bit worrying if you're, say, for example, going out with a group of friends and you associate drinking with that group of friends, and you have to have a drink to have a good time. You're probably gonna have to have a look at your, your friendship circle a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, that's another that's yeah. another big thing. Um. But anyway, mate, we'll wrap up the podcast. Did you have a look at the last three questions that I always ask everybody? Have you made a few little notes for it? You ask these to everyone, yeah? I do ask them to everybody, mate. Don't worry. Unfortunately, you're not special. <laughs> so, so <laughs> last... I just thought this was a cool way to end your podcast. Sorry, sorry, mate. I've let you down, myself, Anna. No, but it is a nice little, nice little way to end it. So first question, three people you like to invite round for dinner or go for a coffee with, pasta present, or a Pepsi, Pepsi with, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I'll go probably all day, yeah. Um, I'll try it again, pick pick people from different different avenues and people who I either, like, kind of enjoy or I think like, I would really enjoy the company of. So I've gone for Lewis Hamilton. I'm a big, big fan of Lewis Hamilton. He gets loads of haters, but he also gets loads of people on his side. Um, so you are, he's a bit more, mate. You either hate him or love him, but I'm a big fan of him. Not just, obviously, his ability, but uh, his tenacity, his work rate. But things he stands for as well, kind of I agree with a lot of them. Um, I've gone for Taylor Swift. So Taylor Swift, right? Um, don't laugh at me, mate. Don't laugh. Nah, I'm, I'm waiting for this one. I'm, wait, I'm interested. I'm interested. Taylor Swift is the one artist that I've, I've owned every single album, physical copy. And I mean, 
even the deluxe versions that like I've went and bought them again just so I've got deluxe versions. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I'm just a big fan of Taylor Swift. And then Jim Carrey. Um, Jim Carrey's got to be my favourite actor. And he's just dynamic. But again, like he he's somebody who totally does him. Um, and I think he went kind of like Jim Carrey about five years ago or something. And he, he's kind of a bit more free thinking and, and just his line of thinking. And uh, I kind of like that about him. And obviously he's an outstanding actor. I'm mm-hmm. sure like whatever roles you, you know him from, you can't imagine anybody else playing that role. He's just yeah. so unique and yeah. Um, a bit random, Sorry. but nah, be a, a decent, decent. Was it a childhood crush by the way, Taylor Swift? Is that where it stemmed from? I mean, I'm 30, you know, mate. She's uh she's only like a year, two year older. I try mm-hmm. to even um I'm getting married the twenty second of December next year. And I try yeah. to get my sister to rearrange it so it was on the thirteenth. Because that's Taylor Swift's birthday. <laughs> Your missus must hate her, by the way. She, she must was... absolutely hate her. Oh, <laughs> <She probably>. <laughs> Class. Yeah. I love that. Right, next one. Three people you want to train with. Um, again, I'm going to bring up Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just think when you watch him, um, even in his prime and stuff, the way he would perform, it was to just different levels. I think we have more evidence, yeah, and we have more data and stuff now. And what he had in his prime, and yeah, he, of course, he was on like enhancements and stuff. You still got to put a graft in, I appreciate that. Um, and I just think the way he would perform movements, he was so in tune with his training. Even if you would did a warm up with him, you'd learn something from him. Um, so I can imagine like doing a full training session or training week with him, you'd just pick up so much information and, and learning, it'd be insane. Um, other people I've gone for. Or I went for Matt Fraser because he's obviously, I mean, he was four-time world's fittest man. So, again, he he is well-rounded. And I know he's crossfit, and I'm not really crossfit, but you mm-hmm. can still appreciate the work ethic and application that he does. And the last person I've gone for is Ross Edgley. Now, Ross Edgley, have you read his books or not? I haven't read it, but he's there. Yeah, I've seen he's got quite a few big ones. He does this like crazy sort of Cat challenges, challenges sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. So he's got a book called World's Fit's Book. I mean, I'm not commissioned, like, so I'm not plugging it for any reason. But he talks about how I mean, it's when he swam around the 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 UK, and I mean, if you've ever, all you have to do is Google Ross Edgley swim and see the images, and you can see how much he pushed himself. And I mean, his shoulders are out here because of swimming, but. He um he's also done like done a rope climb, the height of Mount Everest, and yeah, he's done some naughty challenges. But he went round the world and he was studying different training techniques in different countries, X, Y, and Z. And there's one chapter there or one like little segment that really sticks with me. And it it was he went to this tribe or something, I want to say South America, somewhere like that. And he sat around this campfire, um, eating with them, eating what they ate training how they are trained and he said to them he was like so how old are you like to the guy who is his buddy with and they just all start laughing at him and he was like what have i said and he was like uh, i'll ask again how old are these and they start laughing again he says well what have i said and the the turn around were like not a clue we haven't got a clue and he was like what do you mean so who's like the elder here and they're like no idea and he was like what a weird concept and they turned around and were like how old would you be if you didn't know how old you are? 
And I just thought that was such a deep, simple thing. Um, because physically, for myself personally, I don't feel 30-year-olds. Year old, uh, I mean, I'm fit, I'm stronger, I'm wiser than I was at 20, 21, 22. So I'm definitely in my body, early 20s, easy. But in my mind, I like to think I'm a little bit older. So if I didn't know how old I am, I probably wouldn't see a 30. I might look it, but I mean, uh, I definitely don't feel it. And I just thought that was such a, an interesting concept, um, which obviously I've rem- remembered, so it's struck a chord yeah. with me. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to check his stuff out because I haven't. I'm big on the podcast and stuff. Has he got a podcast? Do you know? Has he got a podcast? He might he might have been on a few. I'm gonna to have to check a few. Yeah, out. He's probably been on a few. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check. But I know of him and stuff. Yeah. I'm fascinated by people yeah, doing them sort of crazy, crazy long challenges. Just just by put put your mind and like I said, you will grow from it massive, like mentally, he's physically. Done like, done like eating challenges with Eddie Hall and stuff, and out eat Eddie Hall. I mean, he's just. I don't know how he does it, but yeah. That's class. Yeah. Mike, well, then, then last one. One thing that you would say to yourself 10 years ago. I, write, I wrote a note about this because I thought, that's a good question. I wish I could, like, you wish you could, don't you? Don't you? Yeah. Um, that's something that kind of sums up the conversation we've had, really. It's gone deep at levels and, uh, yeah, and likes have gone up at other, other levels. But it was believing yourself a little bit more. Um, you're capable of more than what you realise. And I think this is probably a message not just for myself, but a lot of other people, especially young people. Um, your insecurity and your doubt are your biggest limitations. And I think that goes for so many people. And it's only maybe in my late 20s, I mean, I'm 30 now, that I really started to believe in my own ability and my own kind of capabilities and what you can kind of achieve. I think if I knew that 10 years ago, I maybe wouldn't have been this person who was skinny, insecure, had no charisma, had no confidence. Um, it's something that I've had to kind of really work and build, build, build on. And I just kind of wish I could instill that in myself from 10 years, 10 years prior. But uh, again, like it's really important to reflect and to just accept where you are and understand what you've achieved so far, whatever age you're at. And your potential is it, it's not written and having that faith and that belief in yourself whether it's me for 10 years ago or whether it's anybody else listening is it, so important it's also important to reflect and um, appreciate how far you've came mm-hmm. no I like that because what people do get stuck in a rut of like oh like things aren't going too well but if you always look back mm-hmm. and think you know what Two years ago, I didn't think that I was going to be in this position. So they always think that because then you, you never know what you're capable of. You'll always push. And I always say, yeah. just just never get comfortable. Always put yourself in them uncomfortable situations. You will grow from it. But very nice way to wrap up the podcast, mate. Do, mm-hmm. you, you, can't, you do a little bit of Instagram. Shout your Instagram out. I will tag it down below in the comments in the show notes for, for people who want to give you a little follow on their Instagram. Absolutely, mate. It's nice and simple. It's literally just Steve Hoggy at Steve Hoggy. Um, or you can find us at the training club. Um, yeah, check us out. Perfect. Yeah, and if it, no one's checked out the uh, anyone's checked out the YouTube video, I had a few a decent session. Was it two weeks ago now? So that's up on YouTube. I'll probably tag. I'll link that down below as well because um, I want I want to get a little bit more credit for it because I was quite proud of my editing for that one. To be fair, yeah, yeah. Little videographer, videographer for the day. <laughs> that was good, mate. But absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on and obviously taking your time out your day for coming on, mate. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Thank you for your time. 
So thank you very much if you listened to the full episode. And again, thank you, Steve, for coming on the podcast. If you haven't already followed him, definitely check his Instagram out and follow the training club because it is a great gym. If you are in the Washington area, definitely check it out. And like I said, we did a YouTube video. It was an upper body session, so that'll be out on my YouTube at the minute. It's all about environment matters in terms of the environment that you're training with. And there's a nice little cool montage slash edit thing that I put together. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. And if you have listened to this podcast and really enjoyed it or enjoyed one of my previous episodes, make sure to copy and paste the link, send it over to a friend, send it over to a family member, tag us on your Instagram stories, obviously tag myself and the guest if it's Steve or if it's any of my other previous guests. If you want to fire away any questions as well, definitely just drop us both a message. I'm sure Steve would be happy to reply to any of them. Any sort of sharing as always is massively, massively appreciated and we appreciate, like I said, any sort of feedback, comments on the podcast, as always, just drop us a message. Or if people do listen to it or watch it on YouTube, comment down below if there's anything you would like to see in the future. So as always, thank you very much for listening. This has been Process.